This is Ag Bioscience. Welcome and thanks for joining. I'm Mitch Frazier, CEO of Agrinovus Indiana, and this is the podcast where we explore all things Ag Bioscience, the people, the products, and innovations across food, animal health, plant science, and ag tech. The innovation economy and the broader global economy runs on capital, and the underlying banking system has experienced significant challenge of late. Since March 2023, three regional banks have failed. The most notable, Silicon Valley Bank, a bank with deep connections to venture capital and tech companies. Here to help us make sense of what's happening and what it means for the future of innovation in ag bioscience is 50 South Capital Senior Vice President Aaron Gillum. Aaron, welcome back to ag bioscience. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Love being here. Uh, We are elated. This banking crisis, though, Aaron, undoubtedly has a direct or indirect effect on every American, and perhaps the effect is even more acute in tech, in the risk capital ecosystem. Before we dig into what's happening, what has happened, and what it means for innovation, we have to learn more about you and your journey. From your start in tech to now in venture capital, fund management, share more about your journey. Sure. So um, my background, you know, I've I've sat, I like to tell people I've sat on all sides of the table. Um, I started my career after after, uh, graduating from University of Michigan. Uh, with a tech startup company in in Michigan. Um, I tell people I've worked with three different startups in my career, all with various degrees of success. And I just leave it at that, uh, at that point. Um, I've also had the chance to be uh, more on the operation side, doing turnaround and restructuring work. And that was really where I learned about private equity, working with CEOs who were going through a rough batch, trying to fix their companies, get them back in the black, um, and hopefully get it to a sale or get hand the keys back and, and let them run their business successfully. Um, you know, I really used that network, uh, in, uh, of CEOs and, and, and private equity, uh, experts to, I think, launch my career, uh, and, and actually started my own venture capital fund. Uh, I had a chance to invest in some great seed and pre-seed companies around the Midwest, uh, for a few years. But, uh, once again, jokingly tell people I had either some good foresight or, you know, misfortune, however you want to look at it, uh, and chose not to raise a second fund. I was very fortuitous, though, to have met the the team at 50 South, you know, who uh, were were bidding on an opportunity here in Indiana, uh, where I was in the process of moving to with my family uh, and now work with uh, 50 South Capital, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Northern Trust Bank out of Chicago. And you can think of us as like the alternative investment group within uh, within Northern Trust, investing in buyout firms, private credit, secondaries, as well as venture capital, where I specialize. Closer to home, we also are the fund administrators for the Indiana Next Level Fund, which is a $251 million fund of funds that backs uh, venture capital firms based in the state of Indiana to attract uh, risk capital, venture capital, to really grow the startup ecosystem here in the state. Yeah, Aaron, your background, I mean, you're a little humble. You're, you're a banking veteran. You even served, if memory serves correctly, as CEO of a tech company focused on financial transfers, something really germane to the conversation today. Give us an understanding. I I realize this is like a master's class, but help us understand how the banking system works and give us some indication of what broke back in March that led us to where we are. So... I'm going to preface this discussion with I'm not going to get too into the micro and macro economics, but there was a lot of factors that that, that occurred in March around the uh, Silicon Valley Bank uh, explosion or collapse, whatever you want to call it. But actually, let me go back maybe 
two or three years ago during the pandemic. You know, I think a lot of us were obviously distracted by, by, by COVID and what was going on, you know, around the globe from that standpoint. But in hindsight, looking back, 2020 and 2021 were record-breaking years in venture capital investment. And when you stop and think about that for a moment, all the money that was going into these startups, fueling their growth, you know, driving some of the big unicorns and exits that we saw in 2021, you know, that was great for, for, for venture capital as a whole. When you take a peek under the covers and you look at Silicon Valley Bank, as the name, you know, implies, it, based in Silicon Valley, I would say probably almost 50% of all the venture capital in the U.S. ran through Silicon Valley Bank, ran through SVB. You know, we're talking thousands, if not tens of thousands of startup companies had deposit accounts. Some had debt facilities. Several venture fund managers also had, um, you know, uh, lines of credit or, or, or savings accounts, uh, some types of uh, deposit accounts with the bank as well. So, you know, Silic SVB was just integrally tied into the success of everything that we saw in the venture capital industry, especially over the last few years. You know, just as a, a, an aside, the way the banking industry works with these deposits, for example, if you deposit $1,000 into a bank account, the bank doesn't, doesn't have $1,000 just sitting in the bank. They lend out a portion of that money. Uh, and that's why they pay an interest on the, 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 the funds that you keep into the bank. What SVB was doing wasn't too different than what most banks do. You know, they saw that uh, the, the Fed was raising interest rates. SVB had a lot of treasuries that it had purchased at a lower interest rate. And so as the Fed continued to raise interest rates from, you know, almost 0% back in 2020, 2021, you know, you saw the interest rates creep up, you know, 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%. And what was happening was the bonds that SVB had purchased just two years ago were now underwater. And fast forwarding a little bit to the venture capital and the tech ecosystem, I mentioned a minute ago that, you know, you saw a lot of growth in venture uh, capital investment in 2021 going into early 2022, but then it started to slow down. And intuitively, you would think that these startups would correct themselves in that they would slow down their cash burn, try to become a little bit more profitable or self-sustainable, but that was not happening. VCs were still investing in companies, still providing equity investments, and these startups just didn't have a way to course correct. Now getting towards the second half of 2022 and early 2023 of this year, you know, as interest rates have continued to rise and the VCs themselves have slowed down their investment pace, these companies didn't have another source of funds. And so it was almost like a trifecta. These companies were now going into their deposit accounts at SVB and saying, I need the money. I, I deposited, you know, X amount of money here. Now I need it. And like I said, it's not like the banks just keep it there in a big vault and, and have it there uh, waiting for you. And what you had was just a record number of companies and people who said they needed the capital in a very short period of time. What is commonly referred to in this industry as just a bank run. And SVB did not have a way to raise capital fast enough without selling at a loss those treasury bonds. The interesting thing, well, there's several interesting things about this, but all of this really happened in the matter of two or three days. That was what I think caught a lot of people off guard. 
you know, the CEO of SPV made an announcement publicly to the market, I think on Tuesday of the week. And by that Wednesday, the word was out that, you know, the bank's in trouble, take your money out as quickly as possible. By that Thursday, the bank, you know, was in the, was in the negative, didn't have enough cash on hand to manage the, uh, the withdrawals. And by Friday, the government, uh, you know, stepped in and, uh, shut the bank down. And so it's just, it's just fascinating looking back now, a month and a half later, how quickly this happened, you know, this in, in totality, while some people may not have ever heard of SVB before, this was the second largest bank failure ever of all time after, um, Washington mutual in uh, 2008, which was because of the uh, real estate collapse. So this, you know, was devastating to the tech industry, devastating to the venture, you know, industry, and just, I think overall sentiment, as we saw in the the following days and weeks, it's, I think it really rattled a lot of people's faith in just the overall banking industry. So maybe I'll pause for a moment and just make sure all that sinks in. I know I probably threw out a lot there, but I wanted to make sure that we understood at a baseline. It, it is a fascinating, complex ecosystem. And as you look, and as economists will undoubtedly look back, researchers will look back on this and pull apart all the pieces and parts. But to your point, with the WAMU failure in 08, the 0708 collapse is different, very different causation, that very different cycle. But I think there's some parallels in the sense of just this sentiment psyche rattling. And we're still seeing that in regional banks and even on outflows from venture today. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just kind of taking the SVB, continuing that a few more, a uh, few more weeks, literally the following Monday, the same uh, issue occurred with uh, Signature Bank, New York-based uh, Signature Bank, uh, which uh, was taken over by the uh, state regulators. And then more recently, uh, just within the last 10 days of, of now, First Republic Bank uh, was, uh, was taken over by JP Morgan. Uh, and that's even despite the government trying to step in and JP Morgan, you know, trying to help prop up the bank over the last month. So I, it is, it is interesting how this stuff spills over. Uh, it's not just easy enough to say, oh, this is a Silicon Valley problem, or this is a tech industry problem. There really are legitimate impacts and, 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 and I would say even almost overwhelming forces that can impact a lot of these regional banks. And it's, and it's tough for, you know, unless you're one of the big four or five banks in the world, it's tough to overcome individuals, you know, maybe un- irrational in some cases, but it's, it's, it's tough to overcome their sentiment saying, is my money safe in this bank account? You know, my dad jokes, none of us are old enough to remember any of this, but, you know, during the Great Depression, 1931 or so, there were something like 2,300 bank failures. So that th- th- this, this bank collapse problem isn't new in America. It just doesn't happen that often anymore. And I think SVB brought it back to the forefront how brittle some of these banks really are. And it actually brought to the light, and I didn't know this till I looked it up, but since 2001, there have been still almost 500 bank failures in the U.S. So once again, this does happen. I just think a lot of us are, you know, we don't see it. It's not my bank. I don't, you know, it's, you can just kind of overlook it. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see all this stuff in hindsight, but obviously that weekend when SVB was going through their uh, uh, issues and no one really knew what was going to happen on Monday... I, I would say that was a pretty, you know, pretty scary time. Yeah. This 
notion of psyche, of rationality, you know, it appears that it's beginning to normalize. It appears that there's, look, regional banks still under significant pressure, those that are publicly held. We can see their stock prices struggling. But as, as we look at the macro impact, to your point, well, it's not my bank, but you are seeing impacts in you and venture capital and the risk capital ecosystem at large, certainly seeing impacts and not just on the finances, but on operations. Give us a sense uh, for those who are venture backed, those who are seeking to raise capital, give a sense for what the environment is today and, and what you see really successful leaders doing to navigate these waters. It, it, it sounds funny to say, but I feel like we are returning to normalcy um, in the sense that, you know, as I started off by saying the last, you know, two or three years, 2021, 2022, especially, were just such record breaking years in venture capital. Everyone had their eyes on just growth by any means. And, you know, because it had legitimate, uh, we had, we had legitimately provided a lot of distributions and liquidity in the market. I don't think, you know, despite our best intentions, I feel like people still were pushing their companies to grow, grow and grow. And so now that you don't have access to easy capital, now that VCs aren't able to just prop up a company just for the sake of, of doing so. What they have had to go back to now is actually focusing on business metrics 101. How do we grow a sustainable, long-term uh, business here that can generate real revenue with the goals of generating real profit uh, and, um, you know, and sustaining itself for the long term? And so, you know, I, I use the word normalcy, but I mean, this really was, I think, the benefit to um, how most VCs were trained was to invest in a company, uh, provide value add, operations assistance, things like that to get the companies to a certain stage so that they could uh, self-sustain. But just the amount of capital in the market the past few years, I think maybe changed the goalpost a little, a little bit uh, using a sports metaphor there. But, you know, it, it really gave us the sense that, hey, this party's never going to end. Let's go ahead and keep investing. Valuations went through the moon. You know, it was a very frothy market, as we like to refer to. But it was just one of those things where SVB was just, it wasn't, it wasn't what collapsed or wasn't what made the, the VCs, you know, relook at their portfolio companies. But it was definitely one of the factors, I think, that, you know, as we're going forward here into the second half of 2023 and, and beyond, most VCs have already coached their companies that, hey, it's going to be a lot harder to raise the next round than it was to raise the previous round. Uh, if you need to make certain cuts, let's just focus on cash burn. Let's focus on, you know, uh, growth through sales. Once again, the stuff that normal business people would think about, but, you know, you don't, you no longer have a, an open cash machine uh, anymore to, to grow your business. I want to zoom out on that, Aaron, because I think this, this uh, you know, venture funds, what, 1% of businesses in, in the world. I mean, it's a very small number. We, we often tie venture to innovation. And in some cases, that's true, but there's a lot of other innovations happening out there. One of the big trends that we've seen here at Agronovis is we're talking with companies, big companies and small companies alike, is I think there's a monetary policy piece here that is sort of the tailwind to a lot of this. And as, the, as inflation peaked, you know, food inflation specifically, uh, in, in this world, 
highest as it was in 40 years within the last six months. I mean, just extraordinary inflation. Uh, and then the Fed has chased that inflation with raising rates, right? And so, you know, a thesis that we continue to hear, this conversation we continue to hear is not only are, is it more challenging to raise venture, other instruments will actually drive cash. And so, you know, as, as if investors look to optimize their portfolio, they're saying, hey, look, I can get risk-free return of 5%. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to put money into venture, but I might put less money into venture. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, there's, there could be this world in which there's a bubble in the break line, right? So early stage, seed stage, get investment. But when those big dollars have to be raised in venture, the Series B, Series C, Series D that are tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, the capital may not be there, which could create an opportunity for strategic acquisitions, those big companies who have amassed cash on their balance sheet, who are getting 5 and 6% risk-free return. Maybe it's the cycle of life here. I don't know. Um, but but it, but it's it's this is not a bad thing, right? I, I really do want to say this is probably returning the market back to some state of normalcy. You do have a lot of corporations that are that have a lot of cash on their balance sheet. And so just because you might have a whether it's temporary or even a long-term slowdown in venture capital investment, you're still going to have uh, m and a activity. You're still going to have strategic partnerships. Because the rate of innovation doesn't really stop for any of the macroeconomic, you know, debates that we could have here. People are, people, entrepreneurs, founders are always looking for ways to be more innovative, even if that means less resources to do it. You actually get some of the best, the best innovations come from times of, uh, uh, of a lack of resources. And I think that's, uh, a lot of people will point back to, like I said, the last recession, 2008, 2010. You had companies like Uber, Airbnb, uh, Lyft, uh, Stripe, um, even Zoom come out of that that exact time period with founders just being more innovative with with less resources. There is one thing to note, though, around VCs, because I don't want to say that it's all gloom and doom, even though the rate of investment might be slowed down right now, especially at the later stage. More capital was invested in venture, new venture capital funds last year in 2022 than at any other time in history. And so there is a lot of what people, what we refer to as dry powder in the industry. And I think just that in itself means that money needs to be put to work over the next, you know, year or two. Uh, and you're going to continue to see investments, even if it means it's in fewer companies, you're still going to see strong deals coming out of this period of time, which I think is good for all of us. Quantity perhaps down, quality perhaps up. Austerity is a real driver for innovation. We're talking with Aaron Gillum, SVP of 50 South Capital. Aaron, last question for you. Ag bioscience innovators, whether they're in plant science, animal health, ag tech, food, wherever they may be, production agriculture, they're listening to this. What what advice can you share with them? What advice would you give them as they think about raising capital, as they think about building this next chapter of their company? What would you say? Yeah, um, you know, just a, 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 I would say there is a lot of opportunity uh, for for venture capital investors. And you know, Mitch, you know this better than anyone else. You know, making a plug for for Agronovus in this space. I, I think coming out of the pandemic, I think. A lot of investors and even just a lot of individual consumers now are focused on their 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 health. They're focused on. Um, I don't think a lot of us were aware that 
the food supply chain was as brittle as it, as it was. That became very apparent within the first, you know, two or three weeks of, uh, of COVID and the pandemic. And honestly, it's still, uh, I think we're, we're still reeling from some of that today. And so you're seeing a lot of investors, you know, focused on anything from uh, in nutrition space. It could be alternative proteins. It could be, you know, uh, nutraceuticals, things like that, uh, animal health, uh, plant health. But I think on the logistics side, uh, you're also seeing it, this could be anything from um, how food is warehoused, uh, packaged, um, shipped, uh, things like that. You know, it's just it's just really interesting to see how our investment environment is has evolved around this space and it is no longer the the experts in this space this has opened up i think to the more generalist uh venture capital investors corporate investors who just now see you know the white space out here and want to be a part of it because it touches all of us and i think that just needs to be you know reiterated over and over again that you know investments in whether it's directly touching the consumers or touching the you know, the, how, how, how food is moved from point to point, it, it touches every step of the supply chain. And so I don't know, that's what, that's what gets me excited now. And that's where I see a lot of the opportunity now. You know, here we often talk about that ag bioscience is the only economy that touches every person on this planet because it connects to food. And I think that point is spot on. Aaron Gillum is SVP at 50 South Capital. Aaron, thanks so much for spending time with us. Always. Thank you, Mitch. And thank you for tuning in to Ag Bioscience. You can get the latest Ag Bioscience news and insights from discussions just like this by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And while there, you can access our entire library and give us a review. Don't forget, you can always learn more online at agronovisindiana.com. On behalf of the entire Agronovis team, I'm Mitch Frazier saying thanks for listening. We look forward to seeing you real soon. This podcast is a product of Agronovis Indiana in collaboration with Inside Indiana Business. Hosted by Mitch Frazier. Produced by Kayla Chittister and Fabian Rodriguez. Photography by Kaylee Kerr. To get all ag bioscience news all the time, visit agronovisindiana.com.